Good morning. My name's Pam Canty, and I'm a member of the South Charlotte Community Group. This morning's reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. And you were dead in, your, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his graces in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who, were one, who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father." So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Oh, sorry. My name is uh, Derek Crawford. I'm the executive pastor here at Christ Central Church. I do count it an honor and a privilege to be up here today. I'm also excited because next week, Pastor Brown will be preaching. As Pastor Josh has said, we were excited for y'all's break, but we look forward to hearing you preach. But that's next week, 
And y'all got me here today. And I know we are usually a quiet church, but the last time I preached, I honored our, my friend Bill Page, and I would like to do that again today. He used to do our chapel services when I was with the, with the Washington football team every time we traveled to New York, and we went there once a year. He always liked to say, look at your neighbor and say, y'all did a great job last time, but I think we need a little practice before we get started. So look at your neighbor and say, God is in control. That's right. We're not going to be a quiet church today. It seems I've had to been reminded the past few weeks that God is in control. But God is good. <laughs> today we continue our sermon series. This is Christ Central Church. And we're going over each part of the mission statement. Freeing people to enjoy God. Here is truth. Grow in diverse community and engage the world with a renewed dignity that comes from Christ. Today, we will be looking at grow in diverse community. I'd like to thank Pastor Josh for giving me the easy part of the mission statement to preach on. Here's how Pastor Josh thinks now. So Pastor Derek doesn't preach often, but he's white and his wife is black. He lives in diversity every single day. He'll have lots to say. Let's give him the grow in diverse community part. Please note, just because a person has a family that is multi-ethnic does not make them an expert on diversity and all the race stuff. The same could be said for those at a multi-ethnic church or those that lead a multi-ethnic church. To be real, growing diverse community ain't easy. Look at your neighbor and say, yeah, this ain't easy. But pray with me as we learn what it means to grow in a diverse community. Great and awesome God, we humbly walk into your presence today and we ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word. We ask that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for this church. And we pray that you, we pray that we will love you well. We will love our neighbors well. And we point everyone to you. And all God's people said, amen. In one of the greatest movie trilogies of our lifetime, y'all ready? Austin Powers. There's a well-known character, that's a joke, y'all, played by Mike Myers called Dr. Evil. And he's got that laugh. Y'all know the laugh. Mwah, right? And he does this laugh every time he comes up with evil plans to hold the world hostage. Well, on Sundays, in this country... That's the real Dr. Evil's laugh. That's Satan's laugh as he looks at the most segregated time of week. Sunday morning church. The church, y'all. And he's laughing at us. Satan's plan is to keep us believers separated, divided, and at odds with one another. Just in the last 18 months, we have been divided over masks, vaccinations, critical race theory, and politics. Do you know we have people leaving the church because of their politics? I can't wait for the day to hear more about people leaving their politics for their church. Amen. While all this division and strife is going on, Satan is laughing. And the watching world of unbelievers is looking at us, and our witness is tainted. It grieves me. It grieves me to my soul. I'm a believer, 
Praise God, or I probably wouldn't be up here. And as I look around at this world, I see more love, empathy, tolerance, inclusion in the non-Christian world than I do in American Christians. Last time I checked, we were all saved by his grace and his love. And because of that outpouring of love on us, we should be pouring out that love on our neighbor no matter their gender, age, ethnicity, religion, background, or their sexual identity. Amen? Looking at our passage today in Ephesians, we see a letter written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. And he's writing this to the church in Ephesus around 61 to 62 A.D. As we look at the whole book of Ephesians, you see Paul is writing to a diverse church of believers. You will see the church in Ephesians has ethnic Gentiles. Now let me explain to you what an ethnic Gentile is. In America, we have Americans, right? We're all Americans. But we have many different ethnicities like Asian, European, African, Indian, Native American, and Latino. In the church of Ephesus, there were Asian, African, Greek, and Roman Gentiles, and you had the Jews. It seems here in chapter 2, Paul felt the need to remind everyone of a few things. And as you, you will see, God's amazing grace is sprinkled all throughout this chapter. There are two things I want us to see from this passage. By grace, we are alive, and by grace... We are united. Look at verses 1 through 3 with me. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In order to be made alive, we had to once be dead. And here Paul is reminding the church in Ephesus and us today that we are all dead. Because of sin, we have been cut off from a glorious and righteous king. There is no hope for us. Or there was no hope for us. We were out here living by the desires of our flesh and doing whatever we wanted to do. We were spiritually dead. In verses 1 and 2, those verses are specifically addressed to the Gentiles, as I look around this room, and probably most of you at home fit the category of Gentile, meaning we are not Jews. But in verse 3, when Paul says we, because Paul was a Jew, he now includes the Jews and the Gentiles and is reminding us all that we all are sinful. One way, if you want to grow in diverse communities, is to find some commonalities. Well, one thing we all have in common is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23 does not say some of us have sinned, or only the Gentiles are sinned, or only the Romans have sinned. It says all, we all have fallen short. At this time in history, when Paul was writing this letter, the Jews thought that their privileges were being taken away. They looked at the Gentiles as less than. And the Jews were wondering why the Gentiles now get to be saved. We are the chosen people. We are better than them. When you have privilege or are privileged and you come to equal ground as everyone else, it can seem or feel unfair or maybe even seem like oppression. Because of this, Paul knew and heard there was tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that 
at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. The term uncircumcision that is used here is an ethnic slur the Jews use for the Gentiles. The Gentiles were uncircumcised and the Jews were circumcised. And Paul was making two points here. First point, circumcision is done in the flesh. It's man-made. It's not the circumcision of the heart that we'll talk about here in a few minutes. Second point is, why are you Jews putting yourself above another people group? Does that sound familiar? When has a group of people ever come up with slurs and, and wanting to oppress another people group that they felt superior to. Crazy, right? Mm, not really. We've seen it all throughout history. But Paul, once named Saul, the Jew of Jews, the one who was killing and persecuting Gentiles, then Jesus met him while he was on the road to Damascus and changed him forever. Paul was directed by the hands of our creator to pen this very important passage from his prison cell Rome. Yes, that was for the church of that day. He was calling out his fellow Christian Jews. It was for the church 400 years ago. And it's for us today. Can you imagine the letter Paul would write to the church in America during the time of chattel slavery? What letter would Paul write us today? Just look at the book of Ephesians. We would have the book of Americans. But we don't need another letter. We can just use the word we have here today. When, oh Lord, will we get it? When will we stop picking and choosing the books and chapters in your word that we want to follow? When will we follow all you have for us? When Paul, well, Paul is here reminding ethnic Jew and ethnic Gentile that just like he is reminding us today, we are all dead, decaying and smell bad. We stink, y'all. Have you ever walked into that space and smelled the stench that was so foul it makes your nose curl up? That's the same face I make when I hear my song come on the radio. But <laughs> Y'all get that face. Don't worry about it. First thing we say is, man, what died? Because of sin against our God and fellow man, that is the face a holy and righteous Savior, our Messiah, has the right to make when he gets near to us because we are dead. But there's good news, y'all. When you turn on the news today, you don't see much good news. But we got good news right here. Check out verses uh, 1 through 7 again with me. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of a great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness 
towards us in Christ Jesus. But God. But God. Did you see that in verse 4? Whenever you hear a but, it takes everything that was said before and wipes it out. So in this instance, God has taken us from a state of being apart from him, separated by sin. We were dead, lifeless. Sin was decaying our bodies, and the buzzards were flying over top of us. But God called me and you out of the grave, out of the pit. The king of kings called you and me by our name, and we are now alive. Look at your neighbor and say, Christ has made you alive. Did you get goosebumps? If you didn't, don't worry. The Holy Spirit is making his way around the room. <laughs> but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. But God. Look at your neighbor and say, but God. Y'all got to be a little bit louder. There you go. I denied Christ over and over again, but God. My marriage should have been over years ago because I was a jerk, but God. My identity was in what I did and not whose I was, but God. I was a legalistic, non-loving Christian who was focused on rules and not him, but God. I was an egotistic, money-loving narcissist, but God. I wasn't happy with the person I was, but God. I was depressed and mentally unstable, but God. I was spiritually, physically, and emotionally abused, but God. I was homeless, but God. I was a racist, but God. I was prejudiced, but God. I was the chief of sinners, but God. I shouldn't be alive. You know how many times I went around a curve, and I don't even remember how I got around a curve, but God. I was a gossip, but God. I haven't loved my neighbor well, but God. I fall short day after day after day, but God. I was dead, but God. What is your but God? Look, y'all, as a result of sin that has been passed down from generation to generation by Adam, we all, every single one of us, does not deserve to be in the presence of an all-powerful, merciful, gracious, and loving God. But God, in his infinite love, has anointed your heads with oil. The alabaster box that Pastor Josh talked about a few weeks ago, that one that was a year's worth of salary, he has broken that over our heads. We have been washed in his blood. We don't smell like a decaying dead person anymore. We smell like fresh, clean clothes that we just took out of the dryer. We smell like Sunday morning. We smell like freshly baked cookies, chocolate chip cookies. Look at your neighbor and say, you smell good. That's good, y'all. I think it's important now to look at verses 8 and 9 and 10. Many of you know verses 8 and 9. They're well known. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for him that we should walk in them. We can sum up 
what should be our kingdom view right here in these verses. In our diverse community, all of us who are believers have been saved by the same grace that the Messiah has extended to us. We did not do, do anything to deserve this grace. So you and I can't boast. I'm not smarter than this person or smarter than that person just because I've accepted this gift. I can't brag and say, look at me, I'm a believer. I did this great thing. You don't know how many times I want to tell a believer that by the way they are acting, they don't even believe the same theology that they think they believe. Good thing Ephesians 2 is here reminding us that we are saved by Christ's good works and not ours. So let's not boast in ourselves and seem arrogant. But what we can do, what we should do, is boast in and about Christ and the great gift giver that he is. Our Savior left his nice and comfortable position in heaven to come down here with us. He came here to walk with us, serve us, do great wonders and miracles. He hung out with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and the sinners. At the same time, he knew he would be tempted, forsaken, spat on, beaten, denied, stripped naked, and then hung on a tree with a crown of thorns placed in his head. We are saved by his blood and the fact that he defeated death. Grace is getting something we don't deserve. We don't deserve his grace, y'all. Yet the gift is extended to you and me no matter our ethnicity. And verse 10 shows us how we are to respond to that great gift. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to make this clear. As a result of the gospel, in response to the gift that we were given, we are to do good works. I think we missed this. The theme I read about often in God's word is take care of the poor, the sick, the oppressed, the orphan, and the migrant in our midst. Martin Luther, not Martin Luther the king, but Martin Luther the priest who lived in the 14 to 1500s, that Martin Luther, I used to be so confused, y'all. <laughs> You're judging me right now. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. They would say Martin Luther. Well, I said, where's, where's the king part? But didn't know. Didn't know it was Martin Luther. Martin Luther once said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Wow, so true. We are saved by grace for a purpose. Last year, most of y'all know, we raised funds for Tent City to give out socks and shoes. Y'all remember that? Good work, y'all. Praise God. Well, there's a backstory. Y'all know there's always a backstory, right? When I ordered all those shoes, not all of them came in at the same time. One pair of size 13s came in way after we had done took all those shoes down and, and uh, gave them out. So I just, pair of size 13s in the back of my truck for a few weeks. Now, for us to get to Christ Central, we live in Concord, we got to come down 85, and we get off on the Sugar Creek exit. If you get off on the Sugar Creek exit right there, there's usually a homeless person there every time you get off the exit. That day I said, Lord, if this guy says he wears a size 13, I'm going to give him these shoes. I rolled down my window, said, yo, what size shoe you wear? Look at your neighbor and say, I bet he said a size 13. <laughs> you know he did. 
Size 13 it was. I gave him the shoes and a couple pair of socks. My man's eyes lit up like a Christmas tree. He was so grateful. Light turned green, and I left. At that light, y'all, you cannot hesitate for a second. <laughs> they are on their horn. Believers, if you're a believer, a light tap is Christian-like. When you lay on the horn, that means something else. I'm just saying. Anyway, about a month ago, I was on my way back to the church for something. I can't remember what it was. I can't remember what I ate yesterday, so I can't remember what I was coming to the church for. Pulled up to the same green light or same light on Sugar Creek. Had a few dollars on me, so I rolled my window down, gave it to the gentleman. The man tells me, dude, you are always on time. I'm quoting. I said, what do you mean? He reminded me that I gave him a pair of shoes a few weeks back. This brother's name is Terrence, Terrence Williams. Terrence Williams, he has the it factor, y'all. I just got, we got to get him a birth certificate. I asked him if the shoes fit well, and he said they did, but he doesn't wear them. I was like, bro, what do you mean? He told me that he's been out on the streets for a long time, and I was the first person to ever give him anything. Money's fine, but he said someone never gave me something of value. He looked at those shoes as precious, something of value, something that he didn't want to ruin or mess up, even though they were something he needs, and they were given to him as a gift. A great conversation happened over the course of about three light cycles. That's a very busy intersection, and for no one to come up behind me, you have to know that that was a divine conversation. I went on to tell him that those shoes were bought for a purpose, and the purpose wasn't going to be realized if they stayed in that box. You and I were bought and created for a purpose, too. Just like it says here in Ephesians 2. As believers, we are bought by Christ's blood for good works. Verse 10 again says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for him, that we should walk in them. Should we walk in those Nikes that he got? He wanted to walk in them. I'm just, y'all didn't get that correlation there. I got it. Don't worry. Now, I know we usually end with the gospel, and you guys heard the gospel today, and what scripture is pointing us to, that is Christ. But I would like to end with what God is pointing to us too as we respond to his work on the cross and his gift of salvation. The whole second half of Ephesians 2 is about the unity that Gentiles and Jews should have as a result of Christ's work on the cross, how they should be united. Let's see how grace has united us. Look at verses 14 again. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create himself one new man in place of two by making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we might have access to one spirit to the Father. In one spirit to the Father. Do you see it? Did you hear it? The wall has been torn down. And we are to walk in peace together because of the work Christ did on the cross. 
makes us all have access to the Father. I'm up here today, so you're going to hear a little testimony from me. When I was growing up, I went to an all-white church in West Virginia that was very legalistic. Legalistic means don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go out with girls that do. It also meant don't date somebody of another ethnicity. They would use the verse, don't become unequally yoked. That's spiritual abuse. That's misusing God's word. There was no diversity in this church at all. The only diversity I remember is when the white family, ironically their last name was white, started at 10 there and they were olive skinned. And the dad always said amen. No one else ever said amen when the preacher was preaching. We didn't even clap after the songs were sung. Very quiet church. So having someone saying amen was very different to that church. But it was somewhat refreshing to me. And I was only about 12 or 13 years old at the time. When I was 18, I stopped going to church. I just couldn't get down with what I was reading in God's word and what was being taught in the church. If you look out there today, most 18 and 19-year-olds are leaving the church. Why? We'll get to that. The church seemed unloving. It's always about what they were against. Never heard about what they were for. Thankfully, by God's grace, I met my future wife. Just did something to my thing there. And we started, um, when we started seriously dating, I was about 22, we started attending an all-black church in West Virginia. And her dad was the deacon there. We went there for a few years. Something happened. I'll spare you the details, and we left. And then we started going to an all-white church. You remember that, right? Thankfully, by God's grace, I lost my job in 2010. I'm like, thankfully you lost your job. And James says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. I ain't saying you need that verse when you're in it, but when you come out of it, you'll be like, hmm, I thank you for that trial. And we moved to Charlotte in June of 2011. We came down here to work for Coach Joe Gibbs' ministry called Game Plan for Life. The office is housed at Joe Gibbs Racing. And they have a chaplain there named Bob Dyer. Bob is an elder at one of our sister churches. I will be forever grateful to Bob for two reasons. One, he took the time to disciple me. This brother ain't meet me two hours and he said, Derek, we are going to get together at least once a week and dive into God's word. That's why I'm so passionate about discipleship. Because he discipled me, it changed my life. Do you know that you can disciple out bad teachings? You can disciple out prosperity gospel, Christian nationalism, racism, and much, much more. Do you know how I know you can disciple out that stuff? Because it happened to me. I didn't hear anybody say amen. Amen. Second thing that Bob did was he introduced me to Christ Central Church. That's this church, y'all. One day I remember being in his office, and while Bob was looking at a picture of me, he looks at my family, 
And he goes, you need to go check out Christ Central Church. At that time, I didn't know why he pointed me and my family to Christ Central. He didn't tell me why. At that point in my life, I never heard of a diverse, multi-ethnic church. The thought never even crossed our minds to look for what we have here at Christ Central Church. I didn't even know a church like this existed. I thought it was a unicorn. They don't exist. I thought I was going to be the only white guy at an all-black church, which would have been fine. I'm used to being the only white guy in all-black spaces. Or my wife would be the only black person at an all-white church. So let's take you back to June. It's June of 2011, and we show up at this building called the Neighborhood Theater. That's where we used to meet. And it had white and black people up front singing. And they had this African-American preacher with dreadlocks that were halfway down his back. That was Pastor Brown. If you haven't seen him with dreadlocks, go look at pictures. This was amazing and new and exciting to us. Our son gets to see an African-American man in a position of influence in a diverse context who is not a coach or a sports figure. Again, this is amazing. Then we heard Pastor Brown preach, and God's word came alive. Truth is, and it's sad, me and my wife can't remember one sermon that was preached in any of those other churches that we went to. I really think it was because those churches weren't really saying much about anything. Sad, right? Now, I'm not saying monoethnic churches aren't out here preaching Christ crucified and doing a great job. You did not hear me say that. I just said in our experience. This is my story. This is our story. But let me give you a picture of what I saw here. My mother-in-law loves when I make her grilled hamburger. When she comes to visit, it ain't five minutes before she steps through the door that she goes, Derek, will you make me a hamburger? <laughs> Ms. Ms. Kelly and Dee just said amen. <laughs> now, if I make a hamburger with just meat, it's going to be okay, but it's going to be bland. If I put salt on it, it'll be okay, right? It'll be a little better. But if you put some salt and pepper and onion powder and garlic powder, you have something that's flavorful, full of taste and pleasing. I don't want one of more season than the other on there. One season doesn't stand out more than the other. They are all equal, unique, and distinct. You can see that they are all are there. And they're working in harmony to make something that is satisfying, glorious to our taste buds. That's what we have here, church. A church full of flavor that sees each person for who they are. And together we are something beautiful. Something that looks like the church in Ephesus. Do you know why Christ Central Church was so beautiful to us? Because, one... Christ is the chief cornerstone, and we got to hear his truth about God's grace, God's mercy, and God's love for all people of the world. There was a sermon series called God Blank, of, God Blank America. I think that was in 2011, if, I wasn't, if I'm not mistaken. That series had a profound impact on my life and the way I'm now, to, now able to view all God's people. It took the gospel from an Amer my view of the gospel from an American gospel 
to a gospel that was for the whole world. Man, I couldn't wait for Sunday morning. It was the first time in my life I was ever excited to go to church. Each week I was unlearning the American gospel. There's another word for it. Or I was decolonizing my faith. And learning more and more about the gospel of the Bible. The gospel I always knew was there. I just never heard it preached from the pulpit. And then lived out by the, and modeled by the leaders in the church. Leaders and the members in the church. Come with that. My family and I were truly being free to enjoy God. Hear his truth while we were growing in a diverse community and now ready to engage the world with dignity that only comes from Christ. We have been truly blessed by this church, and we thank Pastor Brown and Kelly, Pastor Giorgio, and the founding elders and leaders of this ministry. We thank you for your sacrifice to build God's church. And it was built on our Savior being the chief cornerstone. And it was built off and modeled after Scripture we see here in Ephesians 2. Look at your neighbor and say, praise God. <laughs> Pastor Brown was the loudest there, y'all. Y'all got to step up now. Let me hear you say, praise God, one more time. Look at your neighbor and say, praise God. Check out verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. I love diversity. I think our creator does too. How do I know? He created of all of us, didn't he? You want to know what it means to grow in diverse community? At the beginning of the sermon, I joked about Pastor Josh giving me this sermon topic because I live in diversity every day of my life. But the truth is, I do live in diversity every day of my life. And you know what that means? Diverse church family? I don't know if you're ready for this. That means I live in close proximity of what struggles there are being a black female in America. I hear and know all the micro, microaggressions, colorism, discrimination, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that my wife faces daily. I know all about the struggles of what it means to be a young African-American male as my son grows up in America. My son will be 23 years old next month. Praise God. But when a person of color gets unjustly killed, I automatically think, oh, my God, that could have been my son, my wife, or my daughter. We don't get to take a break from the race conversations. We are constantly talking to our kids and to each other about it and what's going on. We don't get to leave it when we want to and then come back in when it's convenient. I can see and understand that there are systematic rules and laws that are not beneficial for certain types of people groups, and ethnicities. I see it, I know it, I researched it, and it makes me sick to my stomach. I want to fight so my children, my grandchildren, and their children will know what it's like to live in a world that looks, like, looks at them like their creator does. Guess what? When you live in close proximity with your diverse church family, you start to experience the same things I experienced with my family. 
You start to have empathy. Empathy. Empathy is becoming a curse word in the church right now. Don't let that happen. Our Savior had empathy and came down here to live with us and die for us. That was empathy. But you start to have image for, you start to have empathy, gosh, I can't even say it now, for fellow image bearers. You cry when they cry. You celebrate when they celebrate. You protest when they protest. And you fight when they fight. Last spring, we had the privilege to pull up a chair to the table while our Asian American brothers and sisters opened up about the rise of hate crimes against Asian Americans in light of COVID-19. As I sat there listening to their fears, stories, and concern they had for themselves and their family members, I remember holding back tears. Yes, my wife, I'm not a crier. I'm not saying that's a good thing. But I remember holding back tears as I was grieved to my core because people who are made in the image of God are being looked at at less than just because of their ethnicity. But I was also grieved because these are my brothers and sisters who I've gotten to do life with. And together, we're in here worshiping our creator together. They are family. Do you know why they are family? For the reasons it says here in the second half of Ephesians 2. Christ, our Messiah, our rock, our Savior, broke down the dividing walls of hostility. He made peace. He reconciled all the ethnic Gentiles and the Jews to himself by the work that he did on the cross. By the blood of Jesus. He didn't go to that cross just to check a box. He went to the cross because of the love he has for his people. God's heart is for his people. But every time we, re, we, we remain divided, it cheapens the gospel. It makes the cross this small. Our God hung naked on the cross, bearing it all so that, when, so that we can be reconciled as one to the watching world. Shoot, I messed that up. Our God hung naked on the cross, bearing it all so we can be re- reconciled as one. So that the watching world can look at Christians as the model and standard for ethnic reconciliation. He wants, to, he wants us to beautifully grow in our diversity. Let's continue to strive, struggle, and live in close proximity as a church family so we can grow as a diverse community. Revelation 7, 9 says this. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people groups and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's John's vision of heaven. That was given to him by God. Every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping the king as one. And it should be something we strive for here on earth. You know the Lord's Prayer? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the prayer. And the church should be the model. Amen? Let me pray. Great God. We thank you for your word. 
And we pray as a church that we don't abuse your word. We pray that we will be a church that recognizes each one for who they are, how they were created by you, and the gifts that they have. We pray that we can use them all to the glory of the Father. We thank you for the people that came before us in this church and have laid the foundation. And we pray that as, as we continue to strive to grow in the diversity, we will love our neighbor well. We will look at them as you look at them. And we do all this in the mighty name of Yeshua. Amen.